Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is CNN Breaking News. And we do begin with breaking news tonight. A blockbuster from the Colorado Supreme Court ruling that Donald Trump is disqualified from running for president in that state in 2024 and officially booting him from the ballot. Tonight, the country is in uncharted waters. From the ruling, and I'm quoting here, President Trump is disqualified from holding the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Because he is disqualified, it would be a wrongful act to list him as a candidate on the presidential primary ballot. This ruling just out tonight goes on to say, President Trump did not merely incite the insurrection. Even when the siege on the Capitol was fully underway, he continued to support it by repeatedly demanding that the vice president, Mike Pence, refused to perform his constitutional duty by calling senators to persuade them to stop the counting of electoral votes. These actions constituted overt, voluntary, and direct participation in that insurrection. Of course, as you look at this tonight, it is important to note there will be an appeal to the Supreme Court here. But make no mistake, what you are reading tonight, what we are about to be talking about for most of the next hour is unprecedented. The Trump team is responding, saying that they believe this is deeply undemocratic. But also, this stood out to me just now. The former president did not mention tonight's ruling when he was on stage in Iowa just a few moments ago. Look at the timing here as we wait to see what the ruling is going to be, when that appeal is going to be filed, what the Supreme Court will do here. The timing of all this, and as you read in this ruling, it ties back to Trump's insurrection. Look at this. It comes exactly three years to the day that Trump first invited his supporters to that fateful day in Washington when he tweeted this, big protest in D.C. on January 6th, be there, will be wild. Three years later, and here we are tonight with this historic decision from the Colorado Supreme Court. We're going to be breaking it down with legal experts for the next hour. We start tonight with CNN's senior legal analyst and former assistant U.S. attorney, Ellie Honig, who is here on set with me. Ellie, I mean, this is... It's hard to even really talk about where we are in the sense of we know the Trump team is going to appeal this. We'll get into what their decisions are going to be and their arguments here. But this is something we've never seen before. This is historic in every sense. This is something we've never seen before and not even close. And let's just sort of get our minds around what the consequences are. If this stands, and there's a legitimate question about if it will, if this stands, this means that millions of voters will go to the ballot, to the voting booth in November in Colorado, and they will have only one major party name there, 
Joe Biden. That's it. That's the consequences here. And if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, which, of course, he's leading. But yes, exactly. And other states, there are dozens of pending lawsuits. Now, we'll talk about which ones are going to sort of dictate the outcomes in which. But other states, this is going to encourage other litigation, other plaintiffs in other states who are going to try to knock him off the ballot as well. You think it'll encourage other states to say, hey, it worked for them in Colorado. We're going to do the same thing? At least temporarily. I mean, there already are at least three dozen or so of these efforts underway across the country. And let's just look at the the reasoning here, because yeah. there this wasn't a, a unanimous decision. It was a 4-3 vote. And the justices are basically reversing the district judge in Denver's finding that the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment doesn't apply to the presidency. They're saying... No, it does. Exactly. So Section uh, 3 of the 14th Amendment says that any officer who engages in or it gives aid or comfort to insurrection is ineligible to hold office. The trial court here in Colorado held a five-day or so hearing back in October and November, largely consisting of reading transcripts from the January 6th Congressional Committee. That judge concluded, yes, Donald Trump did engage in insurrection, but no, the president does not count as a quote-unquote official. The Colorado Supreme Court tonight, by a four-to-three vote, said, we agree— it was insurrection. But we disagree. We think that an officer does cover the president. Therefore, Trump is disqualified. So that's really the only point of difference. But what, dif- what differentiates the majority in Colorado that said kick him out from the three justices who dissented is procedure. Because the four justices said the procedure that was used here, a trial level state judge having this five day hearing, that's good enough. The dissent says No, we just made this procedure up on the fly. This isn't anywhere in the Constitution. This isn't anywhere in a federal law. And you can't do it that way. And the timing here is also notable because they're saying automatically they're staying this decision until January 4th. That matters because the Colorado Secretary of State said, I need to know by January 5th, basically, so they can start putting names on the ballot. So we know the Trump team is going to appeal this. But what does this look like with the timing now? Yeah, so crucial point here. The Supreme Court of Colorado itself recognized this is almost certainly going up to the Supreme Court. So they said, we're going to stay. We're going to put on pause our own ruling until at least January 4th. If Trump even asks the Supreme Court to review it, which he certainly will, it's Mm -hmm. on hold until then. So it's not going to keep him off any ballot unless and until The U.S. Supreme Court says we agree with the Colorado Supreme Court, which I think is unlikely. Okay, Ellie, obviously we have a lot more questions for you, so stick around. But I also want to find out what's happening in Trump world to this, the reaction to this explosive ruling from the Colorado Supreme Court. Joining us now is Maggie Haberman, a senior political correspondent for The New York Times and CNN political analyst. Maggie, I noted Trump was just on stage in Waterloo. He did not mention this decision on stage there. But what are you hearing from Trump insiders about their reaction to the ruling tonight? Uh, they generally see it, Caitlin, as a gift. I mean, you know, Trump is not happy about any of these cases, particularly cases that tie him uh, to a charge of insurrection. But they see the way that they anticipate this will play out. As you know, they are going to appeal. Uh, they are going to ask the Supreme Court to take it up. The Supreme Court doesn't have to. If they don't, it's basically affirming the decision, which I think becomes complicated, uh, although they could obviously always affirm it. They feel pretty good about their chances that it will get overturned. And either way, they see this as something that they can use to argue that he is being victimized. It's something that's easy for voters to understand, Caitlin, uh, which is, you know, effort to throw someone off the ballot. Some of these legal cases, the criminal cases that he's facing are more complicated. So, again, none of this in the aggregate is, is the kind of news that most people would like. But somehow... 
every time Donald Trump gets a piece of legal news that, that in, in normal times would be problematic, it has had a rallying effect on his supporters. I mean, that's pretty fascinating that this historic ruling kicking him off the ballot has just come out. And obviously they're going to appeal it. But I mean, Maggie, he started almost immediately fundraising off of it. So they think it's going to ultimately benefit them. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think that he wants to be I don't think they want the Supreme Court to uphold the decision. Right. And that is obviously within the realm of the possible, although they don't think that that's so likely a scenario, because if that happens, I mean, to Ellie's point, you are going to see people in other states trying this anyway. And if the Supreme Court does that, it's he'll get kicked off the ballot almost everywhere. Um, but they do see at least short term political advantage. And everything with Trump right now is a, is a game of inches toward getting to the next benchmark. The current benchmark is becoming the Republican nominee and having as much money as he can. And so far, everything that has happened legally has helped him in that. That doesn't mean that it would in a general election, but it certainly is right now. Why do you think he didn't talk about it tonight? I think that he probably has not totally processed it since it happened right before he went on stage. And I think that there are moments when his back is against the wall when he can be more disciplined than other times. I don't know that that's the reason why, but that would be my guess. Maggie Haberman, of course, a lot of reaction to come. We've heard, certainly heard from his allies and his spokespeople. Maggie Haberman, thank you for jumping on the phone with us on this breaking news tonight. Thank you. And for more reaction on this unprecedented ruling, let's bring in someone who is at the center of it, Sean Grimsley, the attorney who is representing the plaintiffs in this case, the voters who sued to remove Donald Trump from the ballot in Colorado. Thank you so much for being here. Why do you think that you won on this effort when others who have tried to do do similar in other states have not been successful? Well, I think Colorado has procedures that allows for an actual evidentiary hearing in a case like this. You've seen in other states that courts rule that there's no procedure available under state law to hear this type of case. Colorado is different. The district court ruled in our favor on that, and so did the Supreme Court today. Uh, The district court ruled against us on a very technical legal issue regarding an interpretation of the 14th Amendment. Uh, We were very confident that the Colorado Supreme Court would not side with the district court on that. And although there were three dissenters among the seven justices, none of them Uh, sided with the district court on that issue. Two of them uh, said they would have uh, agreed with the district court, but simply on state court grounds. And another of the dissenters said uh, there was a political question under federal law. But um, Colorado uh, just, again, has unique procedures that allowed us to do this. Yeah. And we'll talk more about what that dissent said in a moment. But we have heard from the Trump team, his attorneys, they've said they will be appealing this to the Supreme Court do you think that you have a chance at the Supreme Court? Uh, we do. I think we have a chance at the Supreme Court. First of all, Trump is going to have to convince the Supreme Court to take uh, this case. And I can imagine a world in which the Supreme Court says, this is pretty early on in the election cycle. Let's see how this plays out in some other states first. So he's first going to have to convince the Supreme Court to take it. And once he convinces the Supreme Court to take it, I do think we have a good shot on the substance. Again, We've got good, strong findings of fact from a district court. I think the uh, uh, even the uh, U.S. Supreme Court will respect uh, and defer to those fact findings. And I think on the legal issues, we're very strong. When you're talking about you believe he'll have to convince the Supreme Court to take this, I mean, how long do you envision this this playing out? How long do you think it could be before they do take it up? 
Well, I suspect he's going to move pretty quickly to seek cert in this case to try and review the Colorado Supreme Court decision that issued today. But it could be that the U.S. Supreme Court says, you know, there are 50 states. This is really the first state that has decided this issue on a full record. Why don't we see what some other states do first before they weigh in? If this does take a long time, I think that's going to be a big question for people. And it makes me think about the arguments that were being made in front of the justices in Colorado. One of them was worried about this potential for for chaos. Some states letting Trump be on the ballot, some not. Eric Olson, who is one of the other attorneys arguing this, said that any disorder he believed would be figured out pretty quickly was the quote that he used. I mean, that does not seem guaranteed. Are you worried that this could lead to chaos? No, I don't think it will lead to chaos. I think, again, either the court will take it up fairly quickly on this time frame uh, with Trump uh, seeking uh, to appeal this ruling, or you will see another state do something in relatively short order, I would suspect. I'd be a little surprised if this issue weren't settled by the Supreme Court during the presidential primary uh, and certainly before the general election. What do you make of what's at the basis of the criticism of this argument, which is that it's undemocratic and that it's the voters who should be able to be the ones who are making this decision about who's on the ballot and who's not. I mean, Chris Christie is one of the biggest critics. He is trying to take Donald Trump's job as potentially the next president, and he is saying that he thinks this is the wrong ruling. Uh, Well, I I respect Chris Christie's uh, view on this, but qualifications by definition keep people off ballots and prevent people from voting for who they want to vote for. So, for instance, if Obama wanted to run again, he could not, even though I'm sure there are many people out there who would love to see him serve a third term as president. Arnold Schwarzenegger could not run for president because he is not a natural born citizen. Qualifications, again, by definition, keep people off the ballot. And Donald Trump is the only person to blame for this. I understand that his supporters may be upset that he could be off the ballot, but he needs to look in the mirror as to what he did on January 6th and the days leading up to it. He is the one, and it is his actions that are going to be the thing that keeps him off the ballot. He engaged in insurrection. The framers of the 14th Amendment after the Civil War said, we will not have people holding office who have taken a solemn oath to support the Constitution represent our country again. And he has done that to himself. And if the Supreme Court does take it up, and they've got three conservative justices that were appointed to the court by Donald Trump at the center of this, you think that that conservative-leaning court is going to hear your argument and agree with you? I do, because, you know, I heard uh, Ellie Honig earlier say that uh, somehow our argument was not an originalist argument. It very much is. If you look at the originalist meaning of the 14th Amendment, it clearly covers the president and the insurrection that he engaged in on January 6th. I think the arguments that we're going to make, the historical-based arguments, are going to be very appealing Uh, to some of the conservative justices there. And I don't think they have any great fealty from a political standpoint uh, to President Trump. Uh, They have a conservative viewpoint of the Constitution, but we think the argument we are making regarding the Constitution is a conservative one. Sean Grimsley, a lot to happen in your future. I imagine we'll be speaking again and having many conversations. Thanks for hopping on with us so quickly tonight on this breaking news. Thank you, Caitlin. Really appreciate it. And Ellie, as he mentioned there, is back here with me as we are also joined by one of the country's foremost experts on election law, Ben Ginsburg, a longtime Republican election lawyer, including 
for George W. Bush in the 2000 Florida recount. So know something uh, about the Supreme Court uh, and presidential elections. Ben, let me just get your reaction to this, this historic ruling tonight. What did you make of this? Well, it is certainly an historic ruling. Um, but having said that, uh, there are a couple of caveats with this. Um, first of all, the Colorado Supreme Court, by, by saying it's going to leave its stay in effect, gives the Supreme Court a way not to have to rule about this immediately. And number two, I think you've got to pay some attention to the difference in Supreme Court rulings about primary elections and general elections. And in primary elections, the U.S. Supreme Court has given the parties a lot of deference in, in who they can choose and the way they can choose their candidates. And so I, I think that this is a case where the Supreme Court is likely not to jump into this. All they have to do is wait till the Colorado March 5th primary, and it's a mood issue. And there is a question in my mind about whether any of these cases are ripe yet, because they are about primary ballots, which the court does defer to the parties. But it's it, the court has much more ability to rule on a general election ballot placement. But those cases aren't ripe until there is a nominee chosen by the party conventions. So I'm not sure that this Supreme Court is going to jump into this battle quite yet. But it is also really important that the Supreme Court does, because this will create chaos if some states put Donald Trump on the ballot and others don't. And that will particularly come home to roost on January 6th when the Electoral College votes are open. Yeah. And Ellie, I mean, based on that, I mean, so is, is, are we going to potentially be at a point where the Supreme Court doesn't take this up immediately and we're finding out? their views on this, their rulings on this. I mean, Trump's world, his entire orbit, the Republican chairwoman of the Republican Party, Republican lawmakers are all saying, we'll just wait to see what the Supreme Court's going to have to say about this. What if they don't have anything to say about it for a while? I don't, I don't think we've ever been in a moment in history quite like this before, in that we have three enormous cases pending or potentially pending in front of the Supreme Court, each of which will drastically impact the election. We have this one, first of all, which will, I think, obviously determine whether Donald Trump's on the ballot in Colorado and potentially elsewhere. We are waiting on whether they will rule that Donald Trump is immune in his federal election challenge. And if he is, that case goes away. We're waiting to see if they take that. And at the same time, they've taken, the Supreme Court has taken a case which will essentially determine whether two of Jack Smith's four charges, the two obstruction charges, will stand against him. So all three of these cases either are in front of the Supreme Court or likely will soon be, they all will determine either directly whether he's on the ballot in certain states or indirectly whether he takes a major hit to his electoral fortunes. I mean, Ben, that's pretty remarkable what Ellie just laid out there. If you think about everything that is going to be before the Supreme Court, that could determine Donald Trump's fate, when it, so whether it's electorally or criminally. Yes, and plus the country is much more divided now than it's ever been before. I mean, in a sense, if you're a Supreme Court justice, uh, it makes Bush versus Gore look like a walk in the park. And of course, three of the Supreme Court justices were down in Florida uh, litigating Bush versus Gore. But this is a moment where the Supreme Court, no matter what they do or if they don't do, is going to play a major role in the presidential campaign, which puts a real premium on them sticking 
with legal principles about when they do have to weigh into these. Well, Ben, then what did you make of, of Sean Grimsley, the attorney who was arguing in front of the Colorado Supreme Court, which has a very different makeup than the U.S. Supreme Court, he says that he doesn't think that the, that it has anything to do with even politics for some critics of the Supreme Court who will think that. He thinks that they will prevail here. I mean, do you believe that that's likely at all? Uh, no, actually, I don't. I mean, I think the only people who have found uh, that Donald Trump committed insurrection have been his political opponents. And I think that's pretty dangerous for the country and not a real incentive for the U.S. Supreme Court to rule that way as well. I mean, the, the deference of Supreme Court cases has always been to let the voters decide. And so making rulings knocking somebody off is not what they've ever done before. Granted that an insurrection charge and everything that's gone on with Donald Trump is, as Ellie's pointed out, really unique in our history. Ben Ginsburg, one of the best voices to talk about this too. Ellie Honig, thank you for your analysis and expertise as well. Thank you both. We have much more to come on this breaking news. We're also going to get reaction from a key figure from the Watergate era. John Dean is here. Also, we'll speak to a former top Trump advisor just after this. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, as Donald Trump and his Republican rivals are campaigning across Iowa and New Hampshire, so close to the first votes being cast in just a matter of weeks from now, some of them already reacting to the news tonight from the Colorado Supreme Court, their decision to remove Trump from the state's ballot in 2024. As we noted, perhaps his biggest critic, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, is coming to his defense tonight over this. Christie says that forcing Trump off the ballot, in his view, would, quote, be bad for the country. For more perspective on this tonight, I am joined by none other than John Dean, the former White House counsel to President Richard Nixon. It's so great to have you here, John Dean. I mean, just before we get to the, the politics of this and what the Republican field thinks, no matter how you slice this, this is historic. It is unprecedented. What did you make of this ruling? I was quite surprised. I have made a quick first trip through it. It's 213 pages, very closely reasoned. Uh, the dissents are more about state law and what, how the procedure in state law operates or should not operate and whether this was a proper question to be before the state court or a federal, uh, uh, political question. So it, it, it's what's most striking though, uh, Caitlin is, it's very much like the reasoning of the conservative legal community, 
there have been a number of law journal articles that have come out uh, by Federalist Society uh, credentialed law professors who've raised this issue. And it sounds like this court has, has very much uh, followed that line of thinking and interpretation of the 14th Amendment. Yeah, when you look at what they decided here, and this was the big news, you know, with the district judge's ruling, which was, you know, what that she found about Trump engaging in the insurrection, saying that it was really just a technicality why she believed Trump could not be booted from the ballot. But this court, what they found was that the insurrectionist ban does apply to the presidency, that January 6th was an insurrection, and also that Trump engaged in that insurrection. I mean, even if this does get ultimately reversed by the Supreme Court, this is still the Colorado Supreme Court that, that found these three things and their view to be true. I'm not sure at all it will be reversed by the uh, federal Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, to the contrary, mm-hmm. I think uh, the thinking of this court and, and the high court could be very similar. Uh, one of the things I found interesting in the ruling is that the uh, Colorado Supreme Court did embrace the January 6th committee hearings. They uh, adopted them, looked at them, used them, relied on them. uh, And that was a finding of fact uh, that they found that they could uh, employ. And so that'll probably apply as well to the U.S. Supreme Court. I think Ben Ginsburg's point about timing is very interesting. I think he might be right that it's early. Uh, the, The way this, they don't have don't have to rule immediately to solve the Colorado problem because it's been stayed in Colorado. Trump's name will appear on the uh, primary ballot if the way it now goes if they don't get to it. And there's no, you know, there's just really no problem there. Uh, So that could well defer them until another case comes along. But John Dean, just what you just said is so important that you think that maybe the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, will agree with the Colorado Supreme Court here. And if that is the case, if they don't reverse this, I mean, if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee for president, he would not be able to to become president if he's potentially off the ballots in other states, if we see other matters like this happen. I mean, that's a really significant statement that you just made. It's true. It's just as the uh, uh, the lawyer for the Litigants in Colorado said Arnold Schwarzenegger cannot become president because he doesn't qualify. Uh, lots of people are too young to run for president and might want to. So there are all kinds of reasons that uh, people don't qualify. And starting an insurrection and engaging in one happens to be another one. I'm glad you brought up insurrection because Trump's attorney was asked before the Colorado Supreme Court to define an insurrection. I just want everyone to be able to listen to to the back and forth that he had with the justices in the Colorado before the Colorado Supreme Court. What if we narrowed it to say prevent the peaceful transfer of power of the United States government? Would that be an insurrection? To prevent the peaceful transfer? I don't think so, and I'm not sure, Your Honor. Look, I mean, if you look at historically in the context of how insurrection was used, I mean, it has to be for a substantial duration, not three hours. You've added a whole lot of conditions there. I'm not sure where they came from. I would, I would urge you, I, I think probably the best exposition of that was the state attorney general's briefs and the, and the authority that they provided. Okay. But I think also if you look at sort of the historical record. Now, now you're going to tell me, uh, Mr. Gesser, you're making it up. And I'm going to say, well, so did the judge. And I'll say, we're all sort of making it up. What do you make of that? 
I make it, if you look at the amicus briefs that are filed with this case, uh, it could very well be defined as uh, Trump's action as insurrection. John Dean, I mean, one of the best people to have on on this monumental ruling tonight. Obviously, a lot more to come on it. Thank you so much. And more to come on what this could mean. A question of if the Supreme Court does move and when, what it also means Politically, we're going to speak to Trump's former national security advisor turned critic, John Bolton, right after a quick break. Twenty twenty four already shaping up to be a massive monumental year for the Supreme Court, including an appeal that involves Donald Trump trying to claim presidential immunity in his federal election case in Washington The name Trump about to be on the Supreme Court's docket again, potentially, if they decide to take this case up. We know Trump's campaign is saying tonight that it will swiftly file an appeal in this Colorado case, removing him from the state's ballot in 2024. Here to talk about what's next, CNN Chief Legal Affairs Correspondent Paula Reed. Paula, obviously a lot on the Supreme Court's plate, potentially. I mean, what would the ruling from the high court mean for Trump, not just in Colorado, but but every other state potentially as well? Well, the Supreme Court is the biggest factor in the 2024 election. That much is clear. Whatever the Supreme Court decides in this specific case, if they take it up, will be binding on the entire country. Now, as you noted, the the Trump legal team, they said that they're going to appeal this swiftly. It means they're likely going to be working through the holiday, something they have complained about in the special counsel litigation. But if they want to do this, they're going to have to move. Now, if and when the Supreme Court takes this up, Well, that's unclear because it's safe to say Trump is likely going to be on the primary ballot. So this is really a general election issue. So if they take this up, and I think they likely will, because you don't want to have this question just hanging out there for the general election, they would have to decide it by the end of the term. And again, whatever they say is binding on the entire country. Certainly a weighty decision, Paula Reed. Thank you. And I'm joined here tonight by former President Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton, Ambassador Bolton, when you look at this, this measure that was put in place to to keep former Confederates from returning to power, I mean, what do you make of it being used here? I think it's completely misplaced. I think this this Colorado Supreme Court decision is badly wrong for multiple reasons. Number one, the, the 14th Amendment provides that Congress can pass legislation to carry uh, its provisions into effect, which Congress has done on many aspects. It has not put anything with respect to Section 3 on the books uh, since just after the Civil War. Uh, second, the, the idea that uh, 50 different state courts can, can decide a question involving the highest elective office in the executive branch, interpreting the federal constitution as to what constitutes an insurrection against the federal government, uh, is is incoherent. And I think uh, undoubtedly the Supreme Court's going to have to clear that up. In terms of what the framers of the 14th Amendment meant, uh, I, I, think, I think it's quite clear that the radical Republicans in Congress who wanted to suppress the secessionist advocates and governments of the southern states that succeeded would not provide on this critical question of uh, the offices that, that are going to be denied to people who broke their oath to the United States, that you're going to put decision-making authority on that in the hands of the states, including the former secessionist states. That, if that was their intention, they were, they were delusional when they did it. So I'd be willing to bet a small amount of money here that the Supreme Court, uh, if it gets to the merits of this, if it has to, 
uh, will reverse. There's, there's no other logical way you can uh, apply this, and, and it would sow chaos in elections as far as the eye could see. Well, and I think it's important for people, maybe if they don't watch the source every night and haven't heard from you since you left working for, for Trump when he was president, you have been quite critical of him and the idea that he could be back in office. But you're saying that, that the way that that should be achieved, if that's what someone is trying to do here, shouldn't be through a, a ruling from the Colorado Supreme Court or the U.S. Supreme Court that it should be a decision for the voters. Is that what you're saying? Well, ultimately it should be, but if, if, uh, if, if this case, and I do think the Supreme Court will take it, uh, they, they, uh, they should not let this kind of uh, erroneous decision rest out there because other cases are going to be brought. You can see it uh, already. Uh, this has to be something that Congress itself, if they want to enact legislation, which they haven't done for 150 years about what the meaning of Section 3 is, uh, then it's not up to the states to make it up as they go along. I do want to, one thing, if maybe you'll disagree with this because it is a state Supreme Court, but you have said that January 6th wasn't a coup, that it was just stumbling around from one idea to another what happened that day. But what do you make of the state Supreme Court saying that this was, what happened on January 6th was an insurrection? Look, I, I think January 6th was one of the worst days in American history. And I think everybody who participated in it should be in jail for a very long time. But the framers of the 14th Amendment, I think, knew what they meant by insurrection. They had just been through one. Uh, how significant was it? Killed soldiers, uh, leaving civilian casualties out. Uh, fatalities in the war among Confederate and Union soldiers were 620,000. That's an insurrection. What happened on January the 6th was a disgrace, a stain on our country's history. Uh, it was a riot. It was not an insurrection. Now, if Congress disagrees with that, they've got authority under Section 5 of the 14th Amendment to legislate, which they have certainly not rushed to do. Yeah, though they haven't rushed to do much legislating, I should note, even members of Congress would acknowledge that. But I, I want to ask you about something that Trump did say on the campaign stage tonight. He did not mention this ruling but he did repeat something that we have heard him say not once, not twice, but now three times tonight. This is what he told the audience. And it's true. They're destroying the blood of our country. That's what they're doing. They're destroying our country. They don't like it when I said that. And I never read Mein Kampf. They said, oh, Hitler said that in a much different way. I don't think you have to have read Mein Kampf to have quoted Hitler, which we had noted his comments were comments that were very similar to ones made by Hitler about Jews poisoning the blood of the country. Trump was saying that illegal immigrants were poisoning the blood of the country. Are those comments appropriate, Ambassador Bolton? They're no, they're disgusting. I mean, really vile uh, and appealing to, to base racist instincts. Uh, it's just one more example why Trump is not fit to be president. But I have to say, uh, we've had in 100,000 years of human history, a lot of racists. Not all of them are equivalent to, his, to Hitler. Uh, there's only been one Hitler, one Holocaust. And I think when, when people uh, too readily compare Trump to Hitler, they're not uh, demonizing Trump, they're normalizing Hitler. And I think that's a big mistake. I think Look, just let's forget the complicated morality and history. Let's just deal with rhetoric and PR. When you overstate a case, you misstate the case. 
And when you misstate the case by criticizing Trump, uh, you give him the opportunity to rebut it and, and, uh, and, and score points against you. There's plenty of, of things to be said about why Donald Trump is not fit to be president. There's no need to overstate it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was language that was similar to what was used by Hillary. I think just comparing the, the language itself. Well, and Ambassador yeah, John Bolton. It's a blood libel. There, there's no question it's a blood libel, but you got to be careful about invoking Hitler. It's very, very significant. Ambassador John Bolton, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. Up next, I'll be joined by a Republican who voted against overturning the 2020 election and now is a target of Trump's wrath again because he endorsed someone else who is running to be president in 2024. Republican Congressman Chip Roy, he's up ahead. Hacks is coming back and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Agnello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hack Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Primaries are on Donald Trump's mind tonight as we continue to follow the breaking news with Trump being kicked off the primary ballot in the state of Colorado. The former president tonight is calling for someone, anyone, he says, to primary an ultra-conservative Republican congressman. His target, Texas Congressman Chip Roy. His offense seems to be his support for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in the 2024 Republican race. On Truth Social today, the former president wrote, quote, has any smart and energetic Republican in the great state of Texas decided to run in the primary against rhino congressman Chip Roy? For the right person, he is very beatable. If interested, let me know. I'm joined tonight by Congressman Chip Roy. Congressman, thank you uh, for being here. Let me just start with uh, asking, when is the filing deadline for the primary in your race? Yeah, well, somebody didn't get the memo. The filing deadline was uh, last week in Texas. And, uh, you know, look, I'm privileged and blessed uh, not to have a primary opponent this time. I did get three primary opponents in uh, 2021 when I voted to uh, certify the electors of something that I thought was constitutionally appropriate. And I still won uh, with more votes than any other member of Congress in Texas. I mean, look, most people just want us to go do our job, seek the truth wherever it may lead. I'm an unapologetic conservative, unapologetic defender of Donald Trump when he does things that I agree with. Um, and, and for example, right now, I'm critical of the opinion out of the uh, Colorado Supreme Court. I don't think that's following the Constitution. I think that's stretching the bounds of the 14th Amendment unconstitutionally. Um, but I'm proudly supporting Ron DeSantis. He's a good man, a friend, someone I've known for a decade. And for some reason, that gets under President Trump's skin. And this is exactly what the American people are tired of. They want us to focus on the job at hand. They want us to secure the border, stop spending money we don't have, make sure we have a strong military. Uh, do the things that they want us to do to get their lives back on track so people can achieve the American dream. That's Ron DeSantis. He's been doing it in Florida. He'll now do it for the country. In the post, I noticed that Trump called you, as I just said there, a, a rhino, a Republican in name yeah. only for those who are not familiar with the term. I mean, what is your response to, to not only Trump saying that, but when he says that, then all of you know MAGA in that orbit also is calling you a Republican in name only? 
Yeah, well, first of all, that's not something that I'm going to spend a whole lot of time worrying about. I'm focused on the job at hand, being a member of Congress, doing the things I just told you. But but the point it kind of answers itself. Pretty much everybody in the conservative world who understands what we do in Washington knows that I'm a conservative with a strong record. I have voted against Biden more than virtually everybody member of Congress. I have a strong, you know, conservative 100% score from Conservative Review, 98% from Heritage Action, you know, pro-life community. I can go down the list, but it kind of doesn't matter. It's, it misses the point. The point is this is about we don't we don't have princes in this country. We we pursue principles, right? That's what we're supposed to be about. We don't anoint people, right? We don't coronate people. I've been saying this on Fox, Newsmax, CNN, because you know what? I'm in Iowa where there are people here who they take very seriously the job of choosing who the president will be through the caucus process. And I was just at multiple events with Ron DeSantis where he's shaking their hands and looking them in the eye while Donald Trump hangs out in his basement in Florida afraid to actually debate. What's he afraid of? I, you know, look, I'm happy to debate him if he wants to anywhere. I'm just a little old congressman. Why won't he debate Ron DeSantis or any of the other candidates? I think he should. Why do you think he won't get on the debate stage with the other Republicans? Well, I mean, like I can tell you with Ron, from Ron DeSantis' perspective is because he would clean his clock. I mean, if you compare the records, they're not comparable. Ron DeSantis has done a phenomenal job in Florida. He stood up to the you know, tyrannical machine of the government when it shut down the greatest economy in the history of the world. We've racked up six to eight trillion dollars of debt since then as a result of the mismanagement that started in that last year of the uh, Trump administration. Uh, President Trump also failed to actually fully secure the border. If we'd gotten the policies in place, if he had worked with conservatives to get bills passed in 2018-19, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now where Joe Biden is leaving Texas fully exposed to have people running over our Border Patrol agents and our DPS. We had six kids in the district I live in, Caitlin, six kids who died from fentanyl poisoning last year. 300,000 apprehensions in November, on track for 300,000 in December. We should have stopped this years ago. President Trump could have done that if he would have led Congress to get something done. That didn't happen. I don't think he wants to debate that record. I don't think he wants to go you know, through every single issue that he's been a part of. And he knows that Governor DeSantis has done a phenomenal job in Florida. So you know, he doesn't show up well, to the on, debates. On Speaks immigration, I mean, on immigration specifically, we just played the soundbite yeah. of Trump tonight where he's again repeating this, this comment where he keeps saying that illegal immigrants are poisoning the blood of the country. He said destroying the blood of the country tonight in those comments. I mean, what do you make of the fact that the Republican frontrunner, because he is well ahead of Ron DeSantis right now, is using that kind of language, you know, when there is an issue on the border that Republican voters and and, uh, most voters, but Republican voters care so much about? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say one thing about the polls. Uh, polls do not uh, tell the story, right? They're supposed to reflect voter sentiment, not drive it. And that's too much of what's going on right now. The people of Iowa will decide in a month who they're going to select to be the president of the United States. With respect to that issue, let me just say something that's really important to me, okay, as a personal matter. I've gone to the border a lot. There are a lot of Hispanic children, okay, who are being abused, put into the sex trafficking trade, who are sitting in stash houses as we speak, like the father who is held to ransom by by a cartel, for something like $28,000, a federal judge in the Northern District of Texas highlighted this in a case, and he said that they'd have to pay that money if they, so that they wouldn't rape his daughter and his wife. That's, that's completely unacceptable for a country like ours to allow that to happen. A thousand migrants died along the Southwest border last year, many along the Rio Grande, many that are you know, dying in the Texas heat. 53 in San Antonio, Caitlin, in a tractor trailer in the Texas heat. What kind of compassion is that? We shouldn't be doing that and subjecting these people to the cartels. 
And we do you think that strong, the Republican frontrunners should be saying that they're poisoning the blood of the country? I mean, given what you just talked about, what these people are facing? I think the Republican, and I'm not going to characterize frontrunner because that's your poll speak, okay? I'm, I'm on Iowa, and I think the frontrunner is Ron DeSantis, okay? I think he's the guy that's okay, going to be at the top the of the ticket. Okay, about the comment itself. The, yeah. And so what, what I'll say about that is I think Republicans generally, whether it's Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump or anybody else, we should be talking about this in terms of what it means to humanity. I don't think we should be talking about uh, you know, this issue from a perspective of, of uh, you know, blood or whatever the president said. What I think we should be saying is, is that there are human beings who are suffering. Americans, people and ranchers in South Texas, the children who died in my district, the moms that I meet with every day who are losing their loved ones to fentanyl, little girls, whether they're brown, white, black, doesn't matter, getting sold into the sex trafficking trade. Nobody in America cares about all of this divvying us up by race, which is a very sordid business, to quote the Supreme Court and John Roberts. So the bottom line is we should be doing our job to secure the border for our benefit and for the migrants who seek to come here legally. By the way, Donald Trump did very well in South Texas by standing up for a secure border, just like Ron DeSantis won 62% of the Hispanic vote after sending people to Martha's Vineyard, which totally shocked the system last fall and helped us retain the House in Republican hands. Congressman Chip Roy, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks, Caitlin. God bless. Merry Christmas. Back with more and an update on Capitol Hill in just a moment. An important update from Capitol Hill tonight is Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville has now just dropped his remaining hold on 11 four-star military nominees, the Senate now confirming them after he dropped that hold. All of this is a big picture as the Republican had started to relent earlier this month on hundreds of other military nominees that he has been holding up since February all in protest of the Pentagon's policy on abortion that pays for the travel of service members who need to seek care. His complete capitulation tonight now comes without any changes, nothing, in the policy that he was protesting, despite saying he would not give it up until the Pentagon changed something. Now he has given it up on those other military nominees, now the final 11 they were holding out tonight. Thank you so much for joining us for a bit, very busy news tonight. CNN News Night with Abby Phillips starts right after a quick break. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode. 